Hello, I'm Phil Wang. I'm 23 years old and I enjoy jazz music and pan-Asian cuisine. I'm also a stand-up comedian and I'll be talking today or tonight, depending on when you play this, about my experiences so far in comedy and my opinions about um, comedy and um, about life in general in some points. I'll attempt to explain the subtle dynamics of the British comedy industry and scene with a graph um, for any maths fans out there, uh, graph fans, which everyone should be really, as a human race has benefited um, immeasurably from both. And for comedy fans, I shall also be divulging the secrets of my microphone technique. And now if you think, oh, well, that's all brilliant stuff, Phil, but I wonder what it looks like written down. You can follow me on Twitter um, at, at Phil N. Wang. That's at Phil N. Wang. N for November in the middle there. No spaces. At Phil N. Wang on Twitter.com, the premier Twitter website. So, Phil, how did you get into comedy? The first ever gig I did was at um, school. A-levels, year 12. And there was... Um, a comedy club at school called Club Ha Ha, um, and, and uh, it was run by the drama teacher. Uh, and there was a little improv um, group who, who do every show, but um, one show he put up a little notice that said, if anyone wants to do, try an open spot of comedy, they can come down to Club Ha Ha, which meant the drama classroom um, at about 5 p.m. And so I, I went over to him and was like, so are there any spaces left for comedy show and he's like yeah loads uh, and he thought I was talking about as in audience members and there are loads of tickets available and I said no no I want to be in in the show and he said oh uh, oh yeah okay yeah sure I can squeeze you in so I, I did that um first spot about five minutes maybe in front of um I wouldn't say friends people who went to my school and and I did a lot of plagiarized material because I didn't really understand how comedy had worked yet I thought it was like songs and you could just sing songs and people would applaud so I did some jokes um, that I'd heard and it went well I found out I could deliver jokes um, and then I went back and wrote some more and then I did my first gig um, my first of regular human gig in town at the local comedy club in Bath which was great um, but I forgot to write an ending to my set so I just went up and did some jokes and then found that it trailed off <laughs> and I just sort of apologized and left. But people seemed to like it and the people were very nice about it. And then my third gig was back at the next installment of Club Haha ha at school and um, it proved so popular the first time they'd upgraded to the main assembly hall. Um, so it was um, Club Haha ha in the main assembly hall and I'd written a completely original set that was just a about the school and about teachers and about little things that happened at school and... And that remains one of my favorite sets I've ever written. I've never performed it again, obviously, because it doesn't make any sense elsewhere. Um, but it's nice talking to people I think, about things they knew intimately <laughs> and doing an impression of the deputy headmaster. Um, and how long was that set? Oh, I can't remember. Because uh, maybe 10 minutes? And which other time I was like, oh my God, 10 minutes. How am I going to fill out 10 minutes? Um, yeah, I think it was about 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I can't remember now. I probably still have the it written down in a Word file somewhere in my, my old laptop. Yeah. And were you the only person performing stand-up at that show? Um, no, there was... I think there were two other guys who were also in the improv group. Um, 
one of whom is a very very naturally funny guy um he's a couple of years younger than me he's now living in la his family moved to la and now he's like and from time to time i see little status updates and he's playing like comics in la and doing his process it's quite incredible um so it's me and two other guys i think but i was the only non i was the only person who wasn't a member of the improv group as well so i was the only pure stand-up if you would if you could be a pure stand-up but in secondary school i don't know <laughs> yeah so then when you went to university how did you start getting involved in comedy there um well so i um I, I went to cambridge university and the main reason i wanted to go there was the footlights i'd heard about the footlights it was b before i moved to the uk my mother had told me about the footlights and it just sounded like this incredible legendary th thing to be a part of um and uh, and not to big up things i've done <laughs> and that's not what i'm trying to do i'm just saying as a child that's what it sounded it just felt um rather fantastic and and um i got into comedy about a year before applying to university um well that's not actually true okay um well let's okay now we're going to go back to when i was about eight years old the first i remember the first job i ever ever wanted to do was to be a clown i wanted to be a clown when i was about five years old until i was about eight maybe and then I discovered science and maths, which I really enjoyed. So I, I kind of put the clown, I put, I hung up the red nose and I um, picked up the calculator. And um, so I focused on that for ages. And then, um, so I, I did a lot of maths and a lot of science, I really enjoyed that. And so I, I started to do engineering in university. Um, but I, I, I was desperate to go to Cambridge because there's also the footlights there and I wanted, I wanted to do more comedy after my three gigs. Um, and so I was lucky enough to get a place. And um, in the, the thing the Footlights do is they have a show at the beginning of first term called The Virgin Smoker, which is for anyone who's never done a smoker, which are these um, fortnightly, hour-long, late-night um, variety shows at the student theatre there. And so I went and I auditioned for The Virgin Smoker, and everyone gets in. Uh, so I got in, and I I did a little set um, in the theatre, and it went reasonably well. I was I was a very different comedian then. I was bouncing a lot and running up and down on stage. And I was quite I was very emotive. <laughs> I know that I'm not emotive now, but I think I'm a little more subtle with my expressions. Um, no, that's not true. My face has become more exaggerated on stage, like really exaggerated. But my body movements have have um, quietened down. Um, and I did a set about like, you know, is girls how girls dance at nightclubs and um, how and this all come back to me how um, tequila slammers were a practical joke that Latin Americans were playing on the world because that's an, a ridiculous way to drink a drink of licking salt and, and you know it wasn't great but it, <laughs> um, but um, I I enjoyed it and um, and I just did loads more shows. The thing about um, Cambridge was every college had its own comedy night, and I started my own at my college. And so there's al there's almost a little circuit that you could do of college smokers, they were called. And so I'd do maybe two or three of those a week and and build up material and try stuff out. And, yeah, and it went on from there, I guess. For about four, I was there for four years. And so you studied engineering at university, Whilst doing comedy and your degree, did you find it difficult to juggle them both? Yeah, I suppose so. 
I don't think I would have done either better had the other been absent. Um, I think they complement each other. Um, the, I think the disciplines comp. Well, it's always nice. I'm sure you'll agree, and a lot of people agree. Um, it's almost impossible to do only one thing. You get you get sick of it, and you need respite, and that comes in the form of a different um, occupation or diversion. So if I was getting sick and tired of comedy and comedians, then I'd do some um, engineering problems, and I'd feel good in my soul. And if I was getting tired of numbers and programs, then I'd write some jokes, and I'd go and perform. Um, towards the end of my degree, it, the latter became much more true, and I I just grew sick and tired of my degree, and I just I realized I wanted to be a comedian, so it got a bit tiresome then. But for the most part, they really helped. They sort of helped each other out. And there's a lot of there are many elements of sort of engineering and maths in comedy. There are lots of this pattern spotting and rhythms and structure, um, and various rules. I love rules. Um, so no, yeah, I guess I guess they did sort of complement each other. If, th but yeah, they they both took a lot of time. I guess is what you mean as well. So whilst you were gigging in Cambridge, did you ever go up to London to gig on the London comedy circuit? No, uh, the opportunity never arose. The first London gig I ever did was the heat of the total competition that I did in two thousand and ten. And that was at UCL. That was the Dent Room. And I remembered, well, Alex Zane was hosting. Um, I don't know if he still does it. Um, and, and yeah, so yeah, so that was my first London gig. And that was 2010. Did you start, after you won that heat, did you start gigging on the London circuit more? Mm, no, not really. That it's... I could never, re you can't really, it's quite, we had very short terms, so there was very little, you just went in and you just, you know, blitzed your work, and you had a shorter term than everyone, but it also meant there wasn't really time for you to go down even to London, really. From time to time, I could, but um, I wasn't really getting gig offers off the back of one heat, and also I wasn't really chasing any up, because I was very busy with my degree. Um, yeah, so I, that... I guess L London gigs only restarted after the end of the competition. And how did you find your whole experience of the Total Student Comedy Award? I really enjoyed it. I was very, very happy to win it, but I think I had to recognise that there's a lot of luck involved. I had really, really nice heat, um, as in it's a good crowd, good host, good atmosphere, and I was, you know, I was feeling good. I wasn't sick. And um, and then I had a really, really nice semi as well, which was at the boat in London, which is the Tattershall Castle, which is another lovely venue, very well run um, and really nice crowd again. And then the final again was really well done. Huge crowd, real, really supportive. Everyone was on form. Um, and so I felt I very luckily dodged some sort of the harder heats. And, and you know, I was, I was lucky to be... I guess on form those particular nights because I mean the, the idea of a comedy competition is quite silly really and an act is being judged on seven minutes over three gigs against all these other very good acts um so yeah so while I was very happy to win it I it could have been anyone really 
And you also won the Comedy Central Live Funniest Student Award in 2011, the year after. So do you also feel that way towards the Comedy Central competition as you do towards the Chortle Student Comedy Award? No, that one I richly deserved. That one's a bit different because it was just the one... It was just the one night, um, and the and uh, contestants were contacted directly. So it's people who had taken part, many of whom had taken part in total f- uh, student competition final, and um, and a couple other people who had you know done well elsewhere. And so we all sort of converged for a one night only extravaganza in, at the comedy store, and that that was fantastic. Playing the comedy store, you know, to do a gig at the comedy store was quite incredible. This legendary club, and. Um, Again, there's just it was it, it depended how you, well you did that. And it depended so much on just how you're feeling and what seven minutes you decided to do and how the oranges we were feeling. So again, there are all these chaotic variables involved, um, and I was lucky enough to win that as well. So I was, um, yeah, and I was I was very happy about that. Well, you were saying that when you were younger, you wanted to be a clown. And at school, you were performing material on your teachers. And then as part of your Chortle Student Comedy Award set, you used the ukulele. So how do you feel that your material has changed since you first started gigging? I think you're going to say since I was five. How do you feel that your material has changed since you were five years old? <laughs> it's got a little more mature, a little more uh, conf- confessional. Um <laughs> Uh, it's. I was talking to another comedian who you, you've you've interviewed here, David Elms, about this, and um, and he said something which is very true, which I've heard from other people as well. That um, when you, new new comics are very aggressive, I think especially new male comics, because it's all about this assertion over an audience. So you come up, and you know the worst examples are you do a stupid rape joke, or you you're like mean, and you you know. You try and be overly offensive or aggressive, and I was I was never like a, you know a big offensive horrible lad on stage, but I was there. Was, I went through I went through all sorts of periods. I did when I first started when I first started like that first gig at Cambridge. I was quite so sort of McIntyre. I was like bounding across stage, being like, "Isn't it goofy?" And and um, and then I I I quieted down. I tried to do more sort of like stoic one-liners, and I go up like grumpy, and I do these slow one-liners and and then I sort of tried to find a middle ground and and uh, I only really started finding my voice when I guess I came up with the set that eventually became the comedy the the total award set um where I had this idea for a song I just got a ukulele because I just m- like my sister had one and a couple of friends had them I thought hey that looks fun and I'd always enjoyed playing music and singing so I I wrote a little comedy song and I performed it and it went down very very well um, and I thought, oh, this is what people want. They want little songs. And it was very, it was very Dimitri Martin. Like I, I basically ripped off Dimitri Martin. It was like I was doing little one-liners over simple accompaniment, and then I went into a song. I'm now a lot more relaxed on stage, which is something that can only really come with time. And it's more. I try to be. It's more sort of confessional stuff now. I like to just talk about things I think um, and things I feel, and. And how horrible I am sometimes. Not 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 like as a horrible person, but how <laughs> how I can think and feel things I shouldn't, you know, which everyone does. And I, that's just what interests me now, I guess. Um, yeah, so more sort of 
confessional, I guess, right now. And who knows, it'll probably change again. <laughs> Bouncing around the stage in Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe next year. Maybe it alternates and I'll be uh, bounding along. <laughs> so then when you left university and you came to London to start gigging on the circuit, what was your first experience of trying to get gigs and embracing that scene? The first thing that struck me was how hard it was to get um, booked for gigs and to get yourself out there, especially now um, that there are probably more acts than there have been for, if not ever, for a long time. Because the um, if you if you were to draw a graph of it, the uh, <laughs> the number of acts curve lags the popularity of comedy curve, which lags um, economic pro. Um, economic situation so the better people are doing financially comedy starts to pick up then the economy goes down and comedy stays up for a little bit but then people lose money and that starts to go down and when the comedy starts to go down there's still lots of acts playing fewer gigs and then they'll start to go down but we're still at the peak of acts <laughs> while comedy is going down do you see so there are a lot of acts right now and um and not many gigs um not as many as it used to be but these these things are sinusoidal so they will come back up yeah <laughs> periodical and last year you were performing with the footlights where you did an international tour of your show perfect strangers around the uk and in america so what was your experience of performing across the atlantic well there were well fun i had not done much sketch stuff this was a sketch show and um so that's quite different from uh, for me um doing a sketch show with other people and not stand up on my own uh so that was one big change to deal with. The uh, the other change, I guess, as you say, was uh, going over into America. And what was interesting was how y- you find humour and sense of humour is actually quite universal, especially across between two English-speaking countries. We had to change some words, like bits of English slang that didn't make sense in America. So I had to go through and just Americanify um, the script. <laughs> and our process for that, now I remember, our process for that was we just say a word in an American accent and if it sounded right then we'd keep it in um, so we'd go um, so, so like say um, do, do they say um, bloke in America bloke bloke no that doesn't sound right so uh, no obviously they wouldn't do they coffee coffee yeah that's right okay so we'll keep coffee in so you know things like that um, on the whole the American audiences are a lot more enthusiastic what, what we noticed was English audiences tend to form a single organism like they will they will f- form a single consciousness and over in maybe 15 minutes they'll become the audience whereas an american audience and maybe this is to do with the revolution is um is comprised of a, a number of individuals uh, who are not afraid to express individual opinion and so you'll have people really not enjoying it and people just whooping and hollering next to them next to each other and uh, but on the whole they're more enthusiastic i remember we were playing in pittsburgh carnegie mellon university there wonderful group of people we did um two shows on the trot one night and um there were there were some people so enthusiastic when we hit a punchline instead of laughing us one guy just jumped up in the air and punched the air in triumph (laughs) 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 and other people were just raise their hands and leap out of their seats and just whoop and holler and cheer um so they're a lot less afraid of their emotions 
in the colonies. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the main difference we, we noticed. Did you find it hard performing as part of Footlights and then performing stand-up, or did you find that they complemented each other? I wouldn't say they complemented each other. I thought they were very different, and I really appreciated the experience. It was very interesting. I've never, I've always preferred performing alone because if it, because if it goes well, then I get all the kudos. If it goes badly, I haven't let anyone down. Whereas with sketch comedy and um, anything where I'm working with other people, I do, I, I, I tend to enjoy a lot of the processes, but I, I feel a very different pressure when I'm on stage and I have to remember lines and I can't. And if I get this wrong, then I've got made, I've screwed everything up for everyone else. Um, so it's quite a different set of pressures to get used to. But I really enjoyed it. It was a really nice change of pace for me. Although I, by the end of it, I mean, I was enjoy, in, involved in that show for six months altogether from conception to extermination, which sounds, that sounds too final, the end of the show, end of the run. Um, there's about six months altogether, so it's long, a big chunk of the year. And by the end of it, I was just, I'd loved the experience, but I was really, really ready to get back to stand-up. And it helped me realise um, how much I loved it. And a specialist subject where no joke is too niche, you performed a set on Batman, which is one of your passions. And especially in relation to the graph you were speaking about before, which describes the way you feel the London comedy circuit works, you seem to have quite a methodical approach towards comedy. So do you have a specific process that you use in terms of writing your material? I, I don't, and I, it's a constant source of shame that I don't have a very systematic process doing it. I've tried all sorts of... I, it, things only really... I've realised... Um, this is the thing I'm going to start now, is I can only really... Well, I can only get ideas... I can't sit down and get ideas. They just have to sort of come up to me, which requires um, as much chaos and variables in my surroundings as possible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk around... I walk around and I'll see something which reminds me of something, which reminds me of something, which makes me think about something, and then maybe I'll think of a joke about that. And I'll write that little down as a note um, and go home and expand it. Because I can only expand things by... I, I, I walk around my bedroom and I do a gig to myself. I perform the material to myself and I try and riff on it and try and... I have to sp I speak out loud. Um, so I have to wait until my sister's out of the flat because it's just creepy it's weird and so i just walk around my my room talking to myself trying to come up with the jokes on the spot because as with many i think many comedians can only really write on stage so i try my best to recreate that in my bedroom um in front of my batman figurine funnily enough which is on the sh shelf um <laughs> so I'll, I'll walk around and i'll try i'll improv this material or just try and think of what's going on and then I'll write that down and I'll try it out at a gig and see if it works. And I'll record that on my phone and then go back and listen to it, see what worked, what didn't. And then chip away at it, I guess. That's the closest thing I have to a process at the moment. But it's, it's subject to change. Are you recording your gigs at home as well whilst you're doing them? No, that'd probably be a good idea. And thanks for calling them gigs. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I consider them gigs as well, which I nail every time audience goes nuts um and i uh no i should do i should do i think i think that would be i find it painful enough listening to myself in front of a room of people i don't know how i'd be able to listen to myself the room for the batman figures <laughs> yeah yeah batman and me i don't know i don't know if i could do that but i sh i thought i recently i had an idea maybe i should 
like open my MacBook and just turn on the video and so I'd have a video of me pacing back and forth and doing faces and and doing jokes. So I might I might try that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I might try that. And you've performed at Edinburgh for several years uh, as part of the Chortle Student Comedy Award final, as well as the Comedy Zone and BBC Three at the Fringe. So what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far? I always, I do always enjoy it. It's, it's a surreal experience. I think you'll agree. It's not, it's, it's sort of not of this world. It, it is a very... It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, I can't, it's find it, like a lot of comedians find it hard to, whenever I go to Edinburgh outside of August, it's very bizarre. It feels like, it feels empty. It feels like it's not meant to be there. <laughs> not, to, um, not to anger any um, Edinburghians. Um, but I've always enjoyed it. There always comes, I've had better Edinburghs and worse Edinburghs. They're always very stressful. Um last year was the least stressful because we had um people produce a show wonderful producers and wonderful directors who took the brunt of a lot of the pressure and we just kind of laced about and did a show and enjoyed ourselves the year before that i was foolish enough to do two shows and that was a dreadful dreadful time in my life um well the comedy no that's the year i did comedy zone the other show was unfortunately it didn't go very well and that was a constant source of worry and regret but the comedy zone was wonderful and i love fun doing that it's fun i say on the whole it's fun it's, otherwise i wouldn't go back would i that would be crazy um so yeah that's what i think about the edinburgh fringe so what advice would you give to anyone going up to edinburgh as students or as punters i i wouldn't say i have license to give anyone opinion on that um advice on that really i haven't really been up that many times and i haven't really got it right every time but um if for, okay from a student's point of view I guess don't try not to worry. Try not don't 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 care about um, don't get caught up in all. I guess this is probably more general advice. Try not to get caught up in all the reviews and uh, the hype, and you know just do the best show you can and try and enjoy it. Especially if you're a student, you've only got those, and you're going up with a university society. Enjoy that experience because you're not going to have something that that sort of comfortable and nice for a while. Uh, and if you if you're a stand up or even if you're a sketch act, try and get into as many other people's shows as possible. There are lots of sh- free shows and things going on. Try and do those. They're always educational, a lot of fun, and see as much as you can, of course, because um, you comedy you learn by watching and by doing. Um, for as from Pointer's point of view, see as much as you can. Try and be as open minded. I've been very close minded in my life and gone. And gone into things thinking, oh, this will be rubbish. And then come out going, that was great. Or vice versa. And they're both, they're both um, valuable experiences. Hmm. I don't know. I'll have more on that in a few years, I think. I think when you're doing a show, you don't really have much time to think about anyone else or how they should enjoy it. You just think, oh, I've got to get through this month. Um, yeah. I'd love, hmm, I should go up as a, just a punter one year. Maybe I'll have to. <laughs> in a couple of years' time, I don't know. <laughs> And this year you're going to be performing your debut hour of stand-up, Anti-Hero. So what can people expect from your show? It's, so there's no, not really a theme um, or a moral or a message. I don't think I'm really old enough, experienced enough to tell anyone what they should think about a thing or how they should live their life. It's um, an hour of material that I like and I've been working on for a while. 
and that the it's the anti-hero the title anti-hero is it doesn't really have much of a meaning it's partly that um my persona on stage and it's quite like i think i'm i think i come across as ultimately a nice guy but i can be quite mean um about certain things and a bit um rude a bit blue i'm quite i'm very blue i've realized recently my some of my stuff is very blue and uh and also i because uh, i love these i love big dichotomies and big changes in tone a lot of my jokes are to do with saying one thing one way and then uh, another thing a very different way which doesn't sound funny um but i promise it is um and so that's kind of what antihero has to do with um but it's it's not it's a lot of I, it's not really i don't really have many stories i'm not really an anecdotal stand-up at the moment it's a lot of things i think about the world and i i completely um I, compl- I totally believe that I don't have any right to make any comment on things like feminism or um, the Catholic Church or culture, but I'm going to have a go. That's kind of, I guess that's what people can kind of expect. Bill Wang having a go. <laughs> Not having a go at people, <laughs> yeah. but trying trying things. Trying to, yeah, but yeah that, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> having a go, that should have been what? <laughs> that should have been the title. Having having a go with an apostrophe a, <laughs> having a go. And do you find that you get heckled a lot? Um, n- more recently, um, I, in university, never, because people are so nice and they're all your age and they're all scared as well. Um, <laughs> whereas, um, in front of adults who know they have rights, um, they the people shout out a little more, um. It's very, it's it's pretty rare, and it's rarely malicious. Um, a lot of the time, I'm getting people shouting out Gokwan a lot at the moment, but I do kind of invite that with my first joke about my. I referred to my appearance, and then people will always shout out Gokwan. Um, recently, I was goaded by an audience in Birmingham to do the Gangnam style dance um, which I refused <laughs> to, to do to oblige uh, no I but on the whole audiences are pretty good yeah heckling's pretty rare and what's your approach to dealing with it I when I I used to I used to just brush over it because I I'd had no interest in talking to anyone um, and I've, I've never been that good at it because I always avoided it I I now I try and engage with it for more for my practice than anything. So I I won't always be good, but I think I'm getting better. Um, and what I've realized, what I try to do is I'll I'll well hear what they say, and then just try and follow the logic of what they've said, and I'll normally lead to something absurd, and hopefully funny. Um, I try not to just go. I try not to just swear at them and call them a thing, although that sometimes is just as effective. And how do your family feel about you performing comedy? They're frustratingly supportive. Um, they have no problem with it. They're very nice about it. I talk about it in the show, actually, um, about them being very nice. Uh, my mother is a sort of... She grew up in the 60s, did she? Yeah. Um, so she's quite a... Um, 
a free spirit hippie-ish kind of lady or a wannabe at least and so she's always she's all you know well do what you want you know this is your own life you gotta do what what you love but then more recently she's been going well i mean if you're not really making an income you should probably think about going back to a degree um so <laughs> as, um as i've matured her opinion has matured as well um my father has become his yeah my father's very mellow about it all he's a mellow um sort of wise old chinese guy now and so he's solemnly um respectful of my choices hmm. and your sister doing gigs in your bedroom the whole time how does she feel about it i don't think she feels any one way about it um at first it's quite exciting like she'd bring her friends to my gigs and be like Ooh, ha, ha. um uh but now it's just kind of just now it's just a thing that i do and i come home at night and i'll tell her how the gig went or whatever um and then she'll say ah well it's okay really and um uh but yeah on the whole very supportive um i recently did a gig at um my other sister's university in lancaster and it's a very strangely organized gig is in the middle is about 2 p.m in the afternoon in a huge barn with very large windows so it's very sunny and bright and I did about 30 minutes and Tom Deacon came on after me and did an hour of material in a cafeteria to 12 people. Um, and my sister was among them and she was, and she was, um, she was really lovely. Um, she was laughing louder than anyone, even though I was doing some material I shouldn't have been doing in front of my little sister. <laughs> Confessional stuff. Not the clowning. <laughs> no, no, very far from it. And when you were at school, you did a lot of music and you were a jazz singer. Is that something that at some point you'd like to incorporate into your set? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I did that that um, song that I did in the Chola competition. Um, I haven't really found... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not particularly good at musical comedy on the whole, I don't think. And I don't... It doesn't really excite me like just straight stand-up does at the moment. I might, I might find that I want to do it again. Um, if I do do music, it'll probably be, you know, genuine and cringy. Um, even, um, but um, for the moment, I'm just interested in doing straight stand-up. Yeah. Or they might come in later. And do you have a favourite type of venue that you prefer performing in? Mm, I don't think... I wouldn't say it's a controversial choice, but pretty much any stand-up comic will say underground, low ceiling, very dark. Um with people sat around you at 180 degrees. That's my perfect venue. And do you have a favorite type of audience? Um, that's, this is another thing. I, I, you, you come out of like university going, oh, I need young people. The old people don't get this. You have to be clever and young or else you're stupid and you won't understand my jokes. And so I've, I've had, I, for a while I had this rather arrogant attitude and, um, but the more I perform, the more I realize people are just people, and you'd be surprised how 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 much like doing doing the stand up show the the sketch show the perfect strangers in Edinburgh um my favorite laughs ended up being from old women old women were a dream they were just cackling, especially the dirty stuff they loved it the the old ladies so i love all i love i w- women on the whole are wonderful 
well, I mean, they are in general wonderful, but like as as um, comedy um, audience members, they trump men on th- in general. Although drunk women are worse than drunk men in uh, comedy clubs. Um, but yeah, so b- back to your point, the best um, audience members would be for me twenty to eighty year old women. And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians? Um, I, I well, I'm an aspiring comedian ultimately, so I don't know how much I, how much help I can offer. Um, or anyone thinking about getting into comedy. Do it. Try it. Give it loads of goes. Keep writing new stuff, which is advice I should follow. Um, and I guess don't try and be. A comedian you like i think that's a very easy trap to fall into of finding a voice that you really connect with and a comedian you really enjoy and and you end up trying to imitate them and you can only then you can only ever hope to imitate them and not be something new so i guess watch out for that um and do what you want to see i think i don't see how it's possible to do anything else so to do stand-up you'd want to watch and do it in a way you'd want to see people do it and do you have any tips or advice for students? Okay, so I guess I'd say this about advice for st- student um, life and being a student, not just at university, but throughout your entire academic career. And you d- when you when you study something, you don't just, and at university, when you study a subject at university, you're not just studying the facts and rules of that subject. You're studying the appreciation of knowledge and and the enthusiasm of curiosity. And that is a an attitude you should carry with you for your entire life because it makes the world an interesting place, a fun place, a beautiful place. And never stop being interested in things, never stop wanting to learn about things, and you'll never be bored. But now I hear you all thinking, oh, that's all well and good, Phil, but what about your mic technique? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I like to take the mic straight out of the stand when I reach stage. Um, but before I even touch the mic, I look up at the audience, make eye contact, and smile. Then they think, okay, nice guy. So then I take the mic out of the stand, pick the stand up with my left hand, turn it about 75 degrees about my center of gravity to the left, put that down, and then I'm off. Um, I I will I use the mic stand as um, uh, as HQ. So the mic stand is HQ, is the base camp. When I'm not sure about something, or if I'm saying something new, I lean on it. I've got a safety net. Then if, I start, if I've got momentum, I move away. I try and enjoy myself, try and um, um, have a bit more fun, get loose. Then as the bit comes to a close, I go back to the stand, lean on it again, and I begin a new bit, and then I move off it again. Um, so is the, is it the, the, stand, the stand is your nest, and you, you fly away <laughs> from time to time, but you've got to come back to your nest. Um, and then at the end of the gig, I put the mic back into the stand, and I put the stand where it was when I got onto the stage for the benefit and convenience of subsequent performers.